0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you. Observe them in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life, and keep all his decrees that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well for you, You that may, so that you may multiply greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart, recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts and gates of your home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Listen now to the word of God as it comes to us from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hopes on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory, in him you also When you had heard this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, had believed in him and were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, this is the pledge, the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? O Lord, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts that it is your word that might touch us this day, that we may go out in joy. In Christ we pray, and all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. We've received so much. So much that's been handed to us as a gift from those who came before us. The gift of of life itself, the gift of family and nation, the gift of knowledge and wisdom, and above all, the precious gift of faith. We've received so much for thousands of years, faithful Jews passed on to their children and their children's children the word that was spoken this day, the word of the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And 2,000 years ago, that rich inheritance was opened to all of the nations, to all of God's people Through the glory of Jesus Christ, as Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, this is our inheritance through Christ. And nearly 200 years ago, the founders of this very church decided that they would bring the gift of faith here. To this very place, not just for themselves, but for their children and their children's children and for generations that they would never know. And that inheritance of faith is ours now to steward as we will. I want to start by applauding those who have taken this stewardship so very, very seriously, the legacy partners that are honored today. They've committed their resources, not only in this life, but also in their death. Long after they're gone, their gifts will ensure that the gift that they received is passed on to the next generation and to the next, and to generations who will never know their names. Their gifts will ensure that this very family of faith, this very family of faith will be here for those who need its comfort and its presence in times of grief and of doubt, and for those who need a word of challenge and truth in times of fear and discord. I love the way Melissa Ann put it in her Friday email message She says, what's better? What's better than giving something more than mere prayer? Ensuring the measure of resources, the presence of resources that will feed the hungry. Ensure the presence of resources that will provide a gathering place for people in need of mutual prayer and support. Provide a place that will feed the spiritually hungry here at the Lord's table long into the future. I want to invite the legacy partners to stand now, if you will, not as a sign of pride or boasting, but as a model to all who are here. Would you stand, please? It's not a plaque with their name on a wall that they're after. It's the knowledge that the faith that gives them life will last long after they're gone. Every single one of us has inherited a faith that has come before us. And today I invite us to take stock of our inheritance that we also might tend it well. So let's begin by thinking about the people who have handed their faith to us, who helped make us who we are. For many of us, faith begins in our families, in our home life. Now, I want to be honest, not everything that we inherit from our families is beautiful, is it? (laughs) I love the messy faith series that you've been doing in Lent because it really captures the nature of how things are. Faith is messy, and faith can be especially messy when it comes to our families, no? Well, it's true for me. Dad was an elder, mom was a deacon, but it was my Armenian grandmother who really brought the faith alive to me. She sang hymns to us with Tennessee Ernie Ford albums. She (laughs) read, yes, (laughs) She, she read from this huge family Bible, and she told us the story of how much of her family was lost because of their faith in the Armenian genocide, and she taught me to pray, too. She taught me to pray not just politely or eloquently, but earnestly, without holding back, like like Jesus told us to do when he said, don't be afraid to pound on God's door in the middle of the night. That's who she was. But she wasn't perfect by any means. I, I, I love the joke. How many Armenian grandmothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. <laughs> it's all right. I'll sit in the dark. <laughs> For many of us, faith is passed on through our families, and, and for many through our holiday traditions, right? So so my husband, John, whose last name is Shustitsky, we didn't hyphenate. <laughs> <laughs> he makes Russian Easter bread, like I, I understand through the newsletter you may be selling in order to support the Russian mission that you're, you're doing, the summer camp for kids with disabilities, <laughs> beautiful. But there's another recipe that John makes more often this time of year, a recipe from the other side of his family, from his grandma, her recipe for hot cross buns. John's grandma, we called her Gigi, had a really tough childhood. It's helpful to know that. She was raised in poverty, raised by her grandparents on a tenant farm in Indiana. Often the only meal they had was bread, spread with bacon grease. She learned to cook when she was a housekeeper for wealthy families. And every year during Lent, Gigi would turn to her family recipe and make the hot cross buns from scratch, bake them, let them cool just a little bit, and then carefully put a cross of icing across the top, classic. And that lasted for about three hot cross buns. And then... And then by the time Gigi got to the fourth one, she would give up on icing with the cross, and she would slather icing all over the top of the hot cross buns. Why bother with a little when you can cover everything with sugar? Why bother with a cross when you can go straight to the empty tomb? (laughs) Which is, of course, a recipe not just for baking. for how to deal with pain or conflict or fear or defeat, a recipe for both denial and hope. I wonder what messy stories you would tell of your own family, recipes and stories that would be handed down. Which ones have built your faith by virtue of their examples or or maybe even in spite of what you learned from them. And which ones do you most urgently hope to hand on to the next generation? But of course, families are not the only source of our faith. The people of our church, the family of faith also has an enormous impact and not Just the clergy. I'll never forget Mrs. Elliott, who taught our girls' 7th grade Sunday school class, who chucked the curriculum and instead sat us down and talked with us about boys and about parents and about school and about friends and frenemies and oh, so much more. And my eyes were open for the first time to know that church wasn't just about Sunday morning. To know that God was with me every moment of my life, and God would not forsake me ever. Is any church perfect? I haven't met one yet. At the same time that Mrs. Elliott was teaching us, our senior pastor and associate pastor were not talking to each other over issues of the Vietnam War. A great example. But I learned from that too because I learned how tense a church can be and how lay leaders can make a difference. My dad, then clerk of session, who was very conservative on such matters, made sure that both pastors knew that they were welcome in our house, welcome at our table, that it was a safe place for each of them to vent and to pray, and that the church knew that he stood with both of them. Well, I I know that you've been through plenty in this church family, and plenty in your personal lives, too, no doubt. But I also know this that God can use the mess. our families and our church families. God can use that mess just as God has always used the mess of this world to make beautiful things. Human life started when God dug into the dirt and scooped it up and formed it and breathed life into it. I love Jay's musings in the church newsletter when he talks about How the rich, dark soil reminds him of humus, the organic matter that holds nutrients and moisture and microbes. Humus, humans, it's right there in Genesis. He says, you and I were messy, dirt people created by God to receive flourishing, bursting, jubilant life. And sometimes, sometimes it's from the darkest places that new life comes. For some years I've kept a yellowing newspaper article that reminds me of what's possible in God's hands. It's the story of a luncheon served at the Drake Hotel in Chicago, a lunch that concluded with a chocolate cake that was literally a starving woman's dream come true. In 1969, a New Yorker named Annie Stern received a call from a woman who said, I have a package for you from your mother. Stern was stunned. Her mother, Mina Pachter, had died of malnutrition during World War II. In the Czechoslovakian concentration camp called Terezin, Many prominent Jews were sent to Terezin and thousands died there, ill and undernourished, and thousands more were shipped later to Auschwitz. And suddenly, 25 years later, Stern found herself holding this strange package from her dead mother. And from it, she plucked this crumbling hand-stitched book and opened the book and discovered recipe after recipe, handwritten by her mother and other women of Terrazin. She was so shaken that she tucked the book away for several years. Later, a reporter wrote about the cookbook's journey from Terrazin to New York how Maina had given it to a friend in the camp, and it had passed from countless hands until it got to its destination in her daughter's hands. And then the reporter managed to get it published in a book called In Memory's Kitchen, a legacy from the women of Terezin. And the recipes were translated by Bianca Steiner Brown, who was an editor at Gourmet Magazine, and herself a former Terrazan inmate. And then the book became the centerpiece of this luncheon at the Drake Hotel hosted by the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. How Mina Pachter collected these recipes can only be imagined. So imagine this elderly, gaunt women sitting around a bunk bed, whispering in the dark, feeding themselves with memories of potato herring dish, of breast of goose, and desserts made with rose hips. Imagine them jotting in ornate German script the secrets to chicken galantine, take a large old hen, but do not scald it. The directions for stuffed goosenecks sew the small side of the gooseneck skin together. Imagine these women huddled together, imagining the lives they left behind. Kitchens that smelled of cinnamon, tables draped with linen, families feasting on strudels and torts and dumplings. Imagine them fortifying their own souls with these memories of preparing food and sharing food. Imagine them wishing what generations of women had wished before them, that they could hand these recipes on to their own children. And then imagine them learning from heaven that their recipes had survived the Holocaust, And even though they didn't survive, more than 50 years later their food would come alive amid the crystal chandeliers and the gold velvet curtains of the Gold Coast Room at the Drake Hotel. As the luncheon was concluding, Michael Berenbaum of the Holocaust Museum stood in front of the crowd as they plunged their forks into Minapachter's delicious chocolate cake. And he gave them this assignment. He said, take the cookbook home, put it on your kitchen shelf and look at the extraordinary mundaneness but wonderful mundaneness of your life, your kitchen. Choose one recipe. Serve that dish. Tell that story. What do, what do we want? our recipes of terrorism to be. What are the most precious aspects of our life and faith that we want the next generation and the next generation and generations we will never know what do we want them to have that is so precious to us? What is the rich feast of faith that we pray those generations will know that they might taste and see how gracious the Lord is? Whatever gifts we pass along, they did not start with us. They've been passed down from generation to generation, recipes of a treasured inheritance from families at home and families here in church. So let's not squander them. Let's hold them for the rich inheritance they are, and then let us open our hands to the generations still to come that all might come to join this joyful feast of the people of God. Amen.
2: We greet the one who comes in your name, your true light, your true love, the bread of compassion, the wine of renewal. As he broke bread before the brokenness of his death, as he poured out wine before his blood was poured out on the cross, as he gave his life in acts of goodness, as he invited all to the feast of new hope, so come to us, God of Jesus, in your love. Come to us, Spirit of our Lord of love, and let the bread and wine before us bear your life to our life. Nourish us with his vision of hope and unite us in one body of peace. Nourish us with your brokenness. Renew us with your poured out life. Empower us with your powerlessness that we may take root in your risen life and bear fruit in your world, a world in need now, a world in need long into the future. Grant us vision and courage to be your body ever more devoted to living for you with integrity, with grace, and wholly inspired. You are our life, you are our hope, you are our peace, and we praise you. We offer this prayer to you using the words that you gave us. Our Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen
0: thanks for worshiping with us for more information